Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Presence is known as many things. Owning the room, commanding attention, gravitas. Basically, when you speak, people pay attention to you and they listen. This quality can give you a distinct advantage and it determines your success in work and life. Fortunately, the it factor is not so elusive and can be learned. If one of your goals is to develop a presence that inspires others, you will love what my guest Stephen Kuhn has to share with us today. Stephen is a decorated United States Army combat veteran, Bronze Star Medal recipient, speaker, author, consultant, and owner of QOL Enterprises, where he helps leaders improve their lives and businesses. He's trained, coached, and participated in leadership roles in nearly every capacity and transformed the lives of hundreds of people around the world from different walks of life, all synthesized into what he calls humble alpha leadership. In this interview, Stephen will clarify what it means to have presence and how to embody it. He'll also talk about how we can develop an identity, purpose, and image that's authentic and true to our values. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hello, Stephen. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thanks so much uh, for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm just so excited that you're here. It was wonderful to see you speak at uh, Mind Valley University in Estonia uh, in July. I found your talk so inspiring. And I remember telling uh, my friend who was sitting next to me, he's like, I got to have him on the podcast. So I'm so thankful that you were able to make some time to be here with us today. Yeah, you know, it was it was a it came as a surprise to me that I was speaking at Mind Valley. Vishen Lakani, the founder, you know, yeah. met me at a, at a retreat a couple months earlier and asked me if I wanted to speak. I was like, sure. And it was probably the only speech that I actually really ever worked on for a few weeks to make sure it was actually perfect for the presentation. You did a fantastic job. I mean, it really, really did have an impact. And I've seen a lot of speakers. I've been to quite a few workshops around the world. So yeah, I mean, it it, it le- really left an impression on me. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad that was the, that was the intention. <laughs> and, and I think it's because you were so um, genuine and just yourself. You had that presence, you know, which we're going to be talking about today. You were just yourself. You were, and I think that really came through as you were speaking. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's sort of what I live by. You know, in, our, in, in my book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha, we talk about owning your presence in life. And when you own it, it means you know who you are, right? It means, um, you know, how you impact the world, how you treat people, how you treat yourself. 
And when you're aware of all that stuff, um, you don't worry about what, what the outside world says things does to you because you have certainty in your abilities, right? And right. your abilities to, to deploy your genius in any given situation, to deploy your tactics or whatever it is that you have, your talents in yeah. any given situation the world throws at you. And right now the world's throwing all kinds of stuff at us, right? It is. And so when someone says, what do you mean be certain? You can't be certain of the world. What, what about a war? What about this? And I'm not worried about that. I'm certain of my ability to deal with that. That's where the certainty comes from. When you have certainty, the whole world looks different. You have you don't have to worry about how you're going to do anything because when you're certain you will do it, you're going to do it. doesn't matter how. So yeah, that's, right. that's a big part of it. Part of, yeah. of presence. Yeah. And another thing I noticed about you is that you were comfortable with being vulnerable and sharing your story. I think that's also a really big part of, big part of that. Yeah, it is because what, basically what you're doing there is you're outing yourself to yourself. Like you're, you're admitting to yourself what, what you went through. And a lot of times in our mind, we think we admit it and we think that we understand it, but until you actually speak it out and get a reaction from people out there, um, can I, for me anyway, um, you know, when I, you're talking about the suicide attempt story that I told, uh, experience that I had, uh, and until I told that story publicly, um, it was in front of, um, 200 Marines, us Marines, and they were all in tears. And I was like, wow, because they can relate, you know, so that changed the whole way that I looked at it. And sometimes how I communicate it. You know, so the vulnerability allows us to grow like, and, and, you know, people mistake vulnerability for weakness all the time. It's not, it's sort of like, um, especially men or those who embody masculine energy. Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Is that a lot of, a lot of women will see, um, 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 uh, the bad boy, right. Dressed up leather or whatever, you know, dressed up and they'll think that's masculinity, but it's not, that's, that's sort of machoism bravado. Right. Yeah. Masculinity, masculinity is the power that comes from within, right? It's the energy that you have within, sort of like we were talking about presence and showing up wholly and fully and things like that. And so when a man says, I can't be vulnerable, that's because he doesn't have that masculine within. He has the macho without, right, on the outside. So if I'm trying to be vulnerable and I'm macho, I'm going to feel weak. But if, I'm, yeah. if, I, if I have the masculine energy in me and I want to be vulnerable, I feel strong. Right. And that's the thing. The outside is is a it's a perception. It's a tool for perception, basically. I mean, of course, you want to take care of yourself or whatever. You know, that's everyone's up to their own left to their own devices. But um, you know, people see you for the first time. What's their impression of you? And then when you open up and you're vulnerable, and they're like, "Holy sh! Like, wow! What's you know? Like, this doesn't match somehow." And that's yes. for me. That's cool. I, I, right. I love that. I love that. You know, right. being unique is always a good thing. So, absolutely. So, Stephen, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, so you're a speaker, author, business owner, but you're also a decorated United States Army combat veteran. So tell us about your past experiences, including the ones in the military, and how that's shaped you and the work that you do today. You know, I, you know, there's some very specific times in my life that really shaped who I was. I'll touch on a few of them. Um, and the first one was when I was in high school. So when I, when I was in high school, uh, all the way through my childhood, my mom was married, I think by that time, four times, I think, or maybe three times. And then later up to five. And so we were always moving around and I never felt like I fit in anywhere and this kind of stuff. And I didn't like myself because no one liked me. Cause I didn't like myself. It was that, you know, perpetual. And so I was sitting there one day and like, man, I don't want to be here anymore. What can I do? You know, I need to get out of here and I can't get a college degree. I don't have any money. We're broke, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I decided to join the military because I knew 
at that age, at the age of 17, when I did sign up, uh, I knew that if I didn't remove myself from a place where people saw me in a certain way, that I would, that I would never leave that, that way of being. Right. So I would never let that behind me. I knew that at that young age, I have no idea how, but I knew I had to get out. So I joined the military. That's, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize that the United States military is the only job for an entire socioeconomic, you know, sort of shift there. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people can't get a degree. They can't afford a degree. They can't get a real job that pays any money. So what do they do? They join the military. And I was one of those guys. And so when I went in, in, in the military, um, you know, I went to boot camp at Fort Knox, Kentucky, uh, shave my, you know, they shave, they shave your head completely bald. They demoralize you and break you down until you're just, you know, like a worm on the ground and then they build you up again. Right. Well, the worm on the ground part was what <laughs> taught me the most. And that was, um, we were at an obstacle course. So we ran to the obstacle course. I think it was about 10 kilometers. Then we went through the obstacle course and we got to, I, I got to the wall and there was a wall leaning at me like this. I'm standing here. Mm-hmm. And I have to jump over this wall. It's like two or two and a half meters, three meters high. And there's no rope. And I'm like, I can't get over this thing. I, I can't do it. Like, I, I can't do this. I'm trying. I'm trying. And the drill sergeant took me and threw me in the dirt and put his boot in the back of my neck and just called me every name in the book. I mean, I mean, this guy just ripped me apart. I got so, so mad. I just literally jumped up, took two steps back, jumped, grabbed the wall and threw myself over. And I landed on the other side. It was like angels. You know, I was like, oh, my God. I, I was like, I can't believe I just did that. Like, it was me the whole time holding me back. It was me. Like, it wasn't my physical. It wasn't. It was my mind. I was 19 years old going through this, like, epiphany. And from that point on, I, I freaking crushed it. I did whatever I wanted to do. And I knew that if I didn't believe it, I couldn't do it. So I knew that, I mean, later in the obstacle course, you have to jump across poles that are sticking up in the ground like this. And you have to jump. And I'm like, man, what if I miss? And then I said, I'm not going to miss. Boom. And I just took off. Ding, 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 all the way across. And it was so exhilarating to say, wow, I just dictated that. Like, I actually made that happen. You know what I mean? I didn't fall. I didn't think it'll happen. So those were two points in my life, in my early career, in my early life, that really formed me because that set me on a pace of anything's possible. Anything's possible. And then, of course, you know, stationed in Germany, and I, um, I ended up going to Iraq with um, the Eighth Cavalry, and we were the front. So we were, there was no no one further front than we were uh, in in the in the first Gulf War in Desert Storm. And you know, we fought for forty eight hours and forty five hours, I think it was, and you know, ran out of ammunition, ran out of fuel, and we were sitting there, and just 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 a big mess. Lost my friend in my arms. Um, you know, I got killed by friendly fire, no less. And um, um, we set up checkpoints inside of Kuwait. So it was uh, 200 kilometers into Iraq, buffering Kuwait. We set up checkpoints where we would, you know, find soldiers and, you know, send them back to camp, get them processed, and then send them back to Iraq or whatever. And we were just combat guys. We were on tanks and stuff. So we were just hanging around there. One time I'm I'm at a checkpoint and uh, I see far in the distance, um, like a pink dot coming at me. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, looking, I'm looking, and I see as I get closer, it's a woman and a little girl wearing a pink dress with her arms out like this, like, you know, sort of like she's on an airplane, like playing her. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, the heck is this? In the middle of the desert, like nothing. We were about 25 clicks from uh, kilometers from Basra. And um, at the time, President Bush Sr. had said, 
uh, to the Shiites in um, in Basra, if you perform an uprising, our troops will come and support you. So they did that, and they told us to stand down and said, we're not allowed to support. So they got massacred, right? So the, all those people started coming to us for help from, from Basra. So this little girl's walking up, and I see as she's closer that she's burnt, like from her neck down, everything's burnt, and this dress is over top of her clothes that are burnt into her skin. And uh, I, I, I was, okay, okay. Uh, I sent her to the medics. And she went in there and I was like, wow, this is horrible. And I, this is why I don't, this is not why I'm here. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, this is not me. Like, I don't want this. And she came out um, and she was bandaged up and everything. And uh, I, you know, waved her over and I didn't have anything to give her. But I had in my grenade pockets, I had butterscotch candies from my aunt. She would send them to me. And I, and I handed her one and, and she looked at it and she smiled. Like she smiled, you know, and I was like, how can she smile? Like, I'm an idiot. Like, how can I ever complain about anything ever again? This little girl who's lost everything, burnt from head to toe, smiles for a piece of candy. And I sat there in that moment and I, I got on my knee and I just looked at her and I was like, you know, there's, a, you know, she doesn't understand what I'm saying or anything. I don't even know if I said it. I think I was thinking it, but I don't know. Um, yeah. But I wanted to show her that there's like, even in the middle of a war, there's like compassion and love out there. And I felt like such a connection to this girl. It was incredible. Uh, and I just send her back out into the desert, you know, because we couldn't legally help them. And we tried, we gave them some field rations. I gave them some more candy and stuff. And they went out in the desert again, who knows where. And to this day, I'm like still looking for her, you know. And so what that showed me was there's always a place for love and compassion and empathy. Always. It doesn't matter what. And I was in a war and I found it. And I carry that with me, and that's part of my guiding post, I guess you could say, in my life. Uh, it's, it helps me stay a good person, which is relative, of course, but to me, being a good person. Um, so they're the, the big ones in my life. you know. And then, of course, um, when I got out of the military, uh, I stayed in Europe, um, opened up a cocktail bar or two, and then three, and then a nightclub. Uh, then I went on TV, wrote a book, worked in the corporate world, right, right, you know, went up and ran, uh, you know, development and operations for British PLC and an, an American NASDAQ company. Um, and then it all came crashing down in 2008, um, where I uh, um, attempted suicide. Uh, long story, but I attempted suicide and thank goodness I didn't work. And I ended up through a friend in a monastery in Austria where I spent a long time. Uh, recovering and finding out who I was, my true identity, what I was talking about before, right? I mm -hmm. found out exactly what it is. Yeah. Have an identity even, because until that point, I was a soldier. Like, you know, I I, I always, yeah. like, the you highest saw point. Huh? Yeah, because the highest point in your life is always that most exciting, right? So, the, and, and that's why a lot of veterans have issues, because after the military, nothing ever compares. Right. Yeah. Right? So it's really difficult, because... In the military, it's brotherhood, sisterhood, togetherness. We fight as one. We, it doesn't matter if I like you or not. We're going to fight as one. We're going to be one. We're a team. And then you get out. It's like every man and woman for themselves. you know. And so a lot of veterans struggle with that stuff. So I got into the veteran scene, helped a lot of veterans. Um, we had the largest group on Facebook, veteran entrepreneurs. We did live events. We did live coaching events. We had like billionaires come down and do speed coaching for all the veterans that showed up. It was like, I don't know, like 120 of them, I think, or something like that, or maybe 100. Um, and just all kinds of stuff, give, 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 give. And so at the same time, 
I worked for people like Mick Jagger, Olivia Newton-John, Andrea Bocelli. Uh, I helped them with their businesses or helped them build a business out. Olivia, who just passed recently. Yes. Rest in peace. Um, I helped her for three years her expand her company into Europe. Andrea Bocelli, I was one of his business managers. Uh, and then Mick Jagger, I was his bodyguard. <laughs> You know? That's quite a life, yeah. Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> and that's 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 that much of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask you: Did you face any PTSD symptoms after the war? And did do you, if if you did, did that have an impact on the suicidal thoughts that you had later on? Well, PTSD, yes, I have. I'm actually um, a disabled veteran due to the PTSD. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And when I got out in 1993, there was no, they didn't talk about PTSD. Like you never even heard of it. I didn't even know what it was. And um, I was raging. I was angry and upset and pissed off. Yeah. you. I mean, you can't be normal after such witnessing such atrocities and, and such violence. I just can't even imagine how you can process all that when you're not equipped to deal with it emotionally, you know, at like least. How we're taught to process it, right? Push it away. Ignore it. Drive on. Right. Right. And that's like the worst thing you can do. Exactly. Exactly the worst thing you can do, which is why generations of soldiers are just, you know, the older a soldier or a military person gets a veteran, the higher risk they are of suicide. 22 veterans kill themselves every single day. Every single day. For the last 20 years. Have they incorporated some form of assistance right now like when they're training uh people in the military do they at least have something that prepares them for yeah but it's still it's still a stigma you know you're okay. considered weak you know you're, okay. you're considered weak if you if you're you know you show any symptoms or whatever but i got out and all i did was fight i had probably in the first two years getting out in germany where i was working as a doorman in a club and I had my cocktail bar um i was i was in a fight every night just black out just lose my complete mind and just fight to the point where people were coming to me and they were betting on, like they would send a guy to try to fight me and they'd bet on me and stuff. It was crazy. And I it's just fueling this, this, this rage inside of me until one time I saw myself on a video camera after I got into a fight with these guys. And I was, I was very big at that time. I was much bigger. Like I was like really bodybuilding. Now I'm just fit. And, um, there was two guys on my back. I was holding one guy like this and I had an- another guy by the neck walking down the street. Didn't even realize these guys were on me. So I had like four guys I'm like carrying as if as if it's just feathers. And I looked at them, I was like, what the heck is wrong? What what is wrong with me? And that's when I had um I woke up and I looked down and I saw myself. I was like, the heck? And I was on the ceiling. Like I was looking down at my body from the ceiling. And I'm thinking, like, okay, you're dreaming. But I wasn't dreaming. And it stayed like that for about two weeks, where I almost lost my mind because I couldn't get back into my body and everything that I heard was echoing. Like I was real far away. And for two weeks, I I almost, and my my girlfriend at the time was like, what is wrong with you? Your eyes are dead. You're like dead inside. I'm I'm like, I'm up here. You know, it was crazy. Yeah. And I I thought I was having a breakdown um, because I actually woke up one day in the center park of Berlin, Germany, naked, naked, just laying there in the park naked. I woke up. I'm like, Where am I? I mean, that's how crazy I got. Like, that's how much I lost it. Um, and so, so there's these are times in my life where they really form you. You know what I mean? And uh, right. Um, 
Yeah. After I got and out, you were able um, to transform. You were able to transform and turn that that pain into purpose. And I, I, I am because the, the the more painful it was, the more I embraced it. Yes. Because I, 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 I realized when I push away all the things that I experienced in war, like my my friend Sergeant Young M. Dillon, who died in my arms. I pushed that away for years. Like I didn't, I didn't think about it. Now I know that when I looked down at him for the last time, that he looked at me and he was like, don't mess this up. Like, this is your chance, you know? And like, I carry that with me now. Whereas before I wouldn't even think about it because I was like, no, just go away. Now I'm like, yes, man. Like, it, like I have to believe that this is my chance through, through, through that experience, you know? So I, I embrace the pain massively. And, and try to bring it inside and turn it into something positive. So that's why I can talk about my suicide. That's why I can attempt. That's why I can talk about when my wife left me 12 months ago, uh, I immediately fell back into that suicide uh, trap, right? Right. Where it was like, what's the point, you know, kind of thing. Why am I even here? This shit keeps happening to me. And um, thank God I'm, I'm, you know, stronger than I was before. So I didn't even try, but, I can tell you, I thought about it a long time, a couple months. Um, and because I have two kids, you know, seven and eight years old, I couldn't do that to them anyway. But I, I'm not going to lie to you. It's like it's like an alcoholic, you know. I mean, you take one drink, you'd be sober for 20 years. You take one drink, you're right back there again. You know, and it's the same thing with PTSD and depression and thoughts, thoughts of suicide. You, you, you never really get past it. You just learn to deal with it. You have to manage it. Yeah. And when you have a tra- tra- traumatic experience, like your, your wife leaving you out of the blue with sort of no warning, uh, it just it just dumps you back into that just desperate place. And so that's where I was. Um, and then I, I, you know, that was a year ago. And uh, wow, I, I couldn't tell. I mean, no one can tell when looking at you because you've worked so hard at, at you know, building your identity and building your presence and uh that's why i thought you were like the perfect person to talk to because you really really embody it um so tell us Stephen, like what does it really mean to have presence because we hear it so much and a lot of people don't really know what it really means so can you explain what it what what it entails to have a strong presence yeah, well, it's we own we own our presence. And when you own your presence, that's where the, that's where we talk about you know having a strong presence. Being present and presence are two different things. Being present is showing up wholly and fully for the people in front of you or the person in front of you. That's being present. Presence is the energy that you give off give off when you're wholly present, right? So you you'll you'll see someone walk into a room sometimes, and they sort of like go to the corner and sort of look at their phone and wait, and you know, like a conference or a bar or whatever you know if you go to the bars. And people are sort of like, they're, they're, they sort of, they don't know what to do. Then you have other people walk in, they're like, boom, look around, survey the room. I'm going there. And they go straight over, right? People go, wow, that guy's got presence. No, he's just got certainty in his abilities, right? Or she has certainty in, in, in their abilities. You see it in people, they're like, wow, that, that, that person has presence. And I promise you, they know who they are, right? And they know what, what they're about and what they want. That's, that's where presence comes from, in, in my opinion. Then, of course, you have the basics uh, which is living by a core set of principles and morals. Mine are hit. Honesty, integrity, and transparency. Honesty with yourself while you think, that, think, say, and do what you do. Transparency is how you step into the world with that, with that honesty, and it's your ongoing reputation. The byproduct of those two is integrity. Integrity is a basis for every healthy relationship. If you don't have integrity, you have leverage. If you have leverage, someone's going to get the short end of the stick. right? And then we go into, okay, well, how does that help my presence? Well, my presence is what I own when I know my identity. 
And we go into an identity moniker in our book, like our two words. Yeah, you mentioned that having a clear sense of your identity is a really key part of having presence. It it is, because if if I know who I am, I know where, where I'm effective and I know what I can do. I also know if I'm certain in my abilities to handle any situation, that there's nothing out there that can happen that can stump me. There's no question you can ask me. There's nothing that can stump me. Why? Because I have a net, network of people. If I can't answer you, I'm going to get someone who can. And so I never worry about not being able to do what I, what people ask me to do or want me to do or wish me to do or request me to do. Um, so, so that certainty that certainty is like the, the core of that presence. Okay. Powerful. Very, very powerful. Yeah, it is. And can presence be likened to um, like charisma or the it factor? I mean, is it like, what, is it the same or are they different? Well, I'm sure they, you know, they, they have crossovers, you know, I'm, I'm not a sociologist, psychologist or whatever, but there's, it's, it's sort of like a crossover, um, but it's not, it's not the, um, the external, the external can help amplify, right? Your purpose can help amplify your identity, your, your, your certainty, uh, we talk about that in the book, um, identity, purpose, and certainty. You, know, you, have, you find your identity, you find your purpose. Your purpose amplifies your identity to give you certainty. You know, sort of how how we put it together. But um, the it factor and all this kind of stuff. You know, it, you know, you some people gain presence through like a, an actor, or an actress. They gain presence through getting into that position first. That's rare. Typically, it's the other way around, right? You want to gain the presence first, and then you can do whatever you want. Well, a lot, a lot of people, when they gain their presence through a position or a title, when that's gone, they don't have presence anymore because they don't know who they are. I was a soldier. I got out of the army. Yeah. I was nobody. I was a nobody. Mm. Imagine that. I'm in the military. I go to Iraq, spend seven years in, in the army, eight years. Um, that was your life. That was everything. Yeah. 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 Now, yeah. But, but I get out of the military. So I have a bronze star. I'm a sergeant. You know, I'm accomplished. I led troops and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I get out. I'm standing on the door of a club, a nightclub. And a kid comes to me, like 15 years old, wants to get in. I'm like, sorry, you got to be 18. And he's like, get a real job, you loser. You know? Oh, my and God. I, and you're <laughs> like, you know, and that's what I mean by the identity. Suddenly, I didn't know who I was anymore. Yeah. Like, this guy's, how can this guy call me? Look, I'm, I'm like, it was like baffling to me. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know who I am, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's it, and so all these things that happened in my life led me down this path of really dissecting and, and to the point where I, I am open about just about everything. I have to be. Right. And one thing that gets in the way, one big thing that gets in the way of people, you know, having presence and just, being themselves is that they're really self-conscious about what other people think, um, especially now in the world of social media. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that does get in the way of them having a strong presence. So what's your advice on managing that self-consciousness and really trying to stay authentic and grounded in, in your true self? Well, um, authenticity, again, comes from you being, you owning your presence. Right. And that, that comes from knowing your identity. It's always the same thing. But the world around you, what they think of you, um, everyone cares. I don't care what anybody says. You know, like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And, but you can be aware of it. You can adjust accordingly if it's important for you. But it shouldn't dictate your now. It shouldn't dictate your, your future or, your, or how you are, how you feel about yourself. And that's where that solid relationship with yourself really comes in. 
you know, but back in the day, uh, you know, someone could have said something about my mother or something and I went off and went crazy. Now, if someone would say something about my mother, I'd feel bad for them because they're frustrated. Right. So they're upset. And no one argues with you if they're in a great mood. People argue with you because they're frustrated about things in their lives. And there's a saying that, that, that I have is that, you know, if it's out there, it's in here. So if I'm frustrated about something out there in my world, that means it's inside of me. So I need to deal with that. And if you keep these little rules in place like that, you understand, like, why am I looking? Yeah. So you're getting triggered because there's something in you that's unresolved. Exactly. Exactly. So people that argue with you, they're frustrated. There's something going on there. So I have empathy for these people. Mm. You know? Oh, hey, man, you you okay? Are you good? Are you all right? But in the moment, it can be a little bit difficult to do that, Stephen. You're like, uh, you know, like like that kid who came up to you and called you a loser, <laughs> that 15 year old kid. Yeah, well, it is it is difficult, but I mean, yeah. you know, nothing, nothing easy. Very, you know, easy things very rarely reap rewards. Mm, so that is true. Um, I, I I challenge that. You know, for me, when, when when something's really hard, I know that I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. So I go head first. Like I, I I go head first every time. The harder something is, the more difficult it is, the more scary it is. The harder I'm going to go in, and that's not because I'm a a cool tough guy. That's because I know that through that I'm going to grow. And I'm going to, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be on the next level or the next space or the next paradigm or whatever it is. Right. And that, that's what drives me is that, man, yes, bring it, bring it, come on, you know, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> and so that's why I've done so many things. You know, that's why I can walk up to someone like Andrea Bocelli and say, I'm, I'm not working for you. You have no idea who I am. I've never been in the music industry, but I'm working for you now. Plus I'm going to, I'm going to get. Did you do that? Yes, I did. I did it to Mick Jagger to her and, and to him and to Olivia Newton-John. I walked up to Mick Jagger in his hotel and said, I heard that his bodyguard stayed in London because he hurt his back. So I walked to the hotel and said, hey, Mick, I'm your new bodyguard. And Mick Jagger, I'm your new bodyguard. He was like, what? Who, who sent you? I said, I sent me. I'm an American. I speak German. He was in Berlin. I speak German. Um, I, um, uh, I, know, I know the city like the back of my hand. He's like, uh, talk to CJ, who was his assistant or whatever. And CJ's like, um, one question. You got the job. I'm like, what? He goes, uh, do you know where to get the best German sausage? I said, I do. He goes, okay, how's $400 a day? That was it. I was Mick Jagger's bodyguard for three weeks, you know? So, and the same, and yeah. You just went for it, right? You were just more yeah. worried about like, how he would react. And that, that's, I showed up. That's amazing. I showed yeah. up only for that person in front of me with no preconceived notions or no cookie cutter solutions or a, 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 a specific outcome. Yeah. My intention was to solve his problem. That was it. That was my only intention because what, what do we control? Do we, do we control the outcome of anything? No, we don't. We only control our perception, our intention. So my intention was to go up and solve his problem. And that was it. I didn't care what happened or if I got it, if I didn't get it or whatever. I just went up and went to solve his problem. Same thing with Olivia and the same thing with, with uh, Andrea Bocelli. And, and so that's, that's because I, I know what I'm capable of, right? And I'm sure of myself. I'm certain of who I am. And so that, that just bleeds over. And I don't, I don't like saying I too much. But this is, I'm, talk, I'm talking about my personal story, but everyone can of read course, the book. Yeah. And in the book, we have, it's actually five sections and there's stories in each section. So each section is a story, lessons from that story, and the exact, the exact action steps you can take to find your identity, find your purpose, to let go. All these things that you know, we talk about letting go as well, which is super important. Um, so, so it's, it's something that I've 
lived. Now, the book was never written as a book, by the way. It was literally me explaining how I walked up to Mick Jagger, Olivia Newton-John, all these people, and just did what I did. They're like, how did you do that? What is it? And what is it that you live by that makes you think that you can do this and that and the other? And that's how the book came about, because I was trying to explain it. Yeah, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right, as the, as the saying goes. And, you know, you, you were able to illustrate how you how you did it and lived up to these truths. Right. And I had a co-author who, who helped sort of structure it and pull it out of my brain and stuff. He added his bits, his bits as well. He's a veteran also. Um, um, Special Forces Green Beret, Lane Ballone. And uh, um, we had a, we just had a blast doing that. And now it's a it's a course as well. It's it's in Forbes School of Business Technology as a cre- accredited uh, course for entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. A few other universities. I don't remember which ones, but there are a couple of universities as well. And that, that's so fulfilling. And I remember Forbes, the dean of Forbes Business School said, we need more of this tangible, uh, you know, tangible knowledge, not, you know, applied knowledge, not just theory. Um, Correct. You guys have anything else, you know? So it's, it's a big deal. People want that now. They want applied knowledge. You know, the, the times of the degrees, and I mean, I have my MBA was a big waste of money, but I get it why some people get that if they stick to the corporate world. But more mm-hmm. and more, um, more and more people are, we're seeing, uh, at least I see, is that people are shying away from that. They want applied knowledge quick and, and, and quick results. And so um, that's sort of where we uh, leaned on with the Humble Alpha, like find out who you are and everything else clicks. Right. And I want to touch on something that you uh, you just mentioned about letting go. Um, and you also talked about it in your Mind Valley talk. Uh, you say that when people set goals, people tend to focus on outcomes and the end result. But you say that our, our attention should be on our intention and not the outcome. Uh, could you please tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, <clears throat> letting go. Um, when you when you set a goal, this is my my belief, and it's how it works for me. When you set a goal, it isn't about I want a million dollars or I want you know I want this. Maybe let's, let's say you want a Bentley, right? You want a, a Bentley. You can save for a Bentley, and one day you can afford a Bentley. Uh, but then you won't be able to afford to change a tire, which costs you know thirty thousand dollars, whatever it is, right? So you're not your goal isn't in that in that moment to get a Bentley. Your goal is to have a lifestyle as someone who can afford a Bentley. Right. So when you look at your goals, you say, okay, what kind of a lifestyle would I have to have to own a Bentley and actually be comfortable with it? Well, I need a garage or someone might steal it or scratch it or whatever. I need to be able to afford the the maintenance on that. If I can afford the maintenance on that, I must have a pretty good job or a pretty good career or a pretty good business. What's that business look like? What am I doing? How many businesses do I own? So you build this picture out in your mind and you paint it on a slide in your mind and then you completely let it go. Feel it, taste it, smell it, and then completely let it go. Completely let it go and focus on the intention of getting there. What's my intention to get there? And when, when because you have that picture in your mind, that slide, you're certain of it. It's and it's it's embedded in your in your subconscious, and then you just set your intention on getting there. What's my intention today? What's my intention tomorrow? And and again, when I focus on a specific outcome, I'm like this. I have blinders on. And like people say, <clears throat> hustle and grind, nose to the grindstone, and this kind of stuff. Well, if you have your nose to the grindstone, what are you looking at? You're looking at the grindstone. Yeah. You're, you're not going to see. Yeah, you know, you're not going to see coincidences and luck and doors yeah. opening and new, new, new people and, and like you yeah. know, every person you meet, every person you meet is a door to a whole new reality. Yes. I mean, when you think of it like that. Think of it like that. Look, we met in Mind Valley. Here I am talking to you. You know what I mean? It's like this whole now your audience will see me, which they've never would have seen me before, maybe. And it's yeah. just this whole. And so I love meeting people because it's like that's the door to a new reality. That's a door to a whole new world. And I yeah. absolutely, I absolutely love it. So 
um, you know, the, the, the whole point of the, behind the intention is that you're not focused on an outcome. So you have a wider view, a macro view of the world around you. I would say you pan out like you do in the movies, but you're <laughs> panning out you're macro what's going on. Right. My intention is, is everything going the way according to my intentions? No. Okay. I, I need to adjust over here. I need to adjust over here. And then that's how, how you get to the goals that you have in your slide in your mind. Right. But don't you have to stay focused to make sure that you actually get the, get the work done? Of course you have to do the work. Yes, of course. Yeah. You have to do the work. You don't just wait. No, no, you got to do the work. Of course. It's just like people talk about manifesting all the time. You got to work for it to, to, to manifest it. Right. So, yeah. You, you know, a, a, a task list or um, a process or procedure is a must in business. I call it PPS, people, procedures, and structures, right? Mm -hmm. The right, and you know, the right uh, people and with the right procedures and the right structures, right? So it's like, you got to have all that stuff in place. And then it's, it's about how do I lead this company? How do I reach that goal through empowerment, through delegation, through, you know, and, you know, empowering my people, elevating them, bringing them to another higher frequency so that they're on a frequency of growth and how, how will that affect my company? That's all the daily work. Um, you have to do that, of course. What I'm saying is, you know, the, we got to get 26.2 sales now, now, go, go, go. And then you, it's like this every day, more and more and more and more and more. So, yes, we do need to get sales delegated to somebody who can do it and then move on and help the rest of the team, your company, your wife, whatever it is that you're you're focused on. Keep that macro view and then give instruction, help delegate, do it yourself sometimes or whatever. So, yeah, um, you talk about a micro and macro purpose also in your in your book, Unleash the Humble Alpha. So that's what you're talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so my macro purpose is, um, you know, adding value to people's lives to create radiant value that elevates them to a higher frequency. Right. So that's my macro purpose. My, my, my micro is always tied to that, but it's in the moment. Like my, my purpose right now is to inform your, your listeners as much as possible what I'm talking about. Right. And to, to pass on this wisdom to you. So hopefully that you're, they, they might take something away and thrive from it. So that's my micro right now. So the macro is elevating others to a higher frequency. And my micro right now is passing this knowledge on to your listeners so that they could thrive, and maybe take something away. And so there's, that's, that's, that micro is always changing, but it's based upon the macro. And I, it took me a while to get that macro. It really did. You know, it changed. So that's like the like, big picture goal, right? Your, your, like your, your big purpose. purpose. My big yeah. purpose. Yeah. yeah. Elevate others to a higher frequency. Yeah, that's, that's what I do through creating radiant value. You know, radiant value is like the ripple effect. So when, when I'm doing what I'm doing right now with you, your listeners will hear it. Someone might pass on somebody else and they'll, they'll listen to it. That's radiant value. It's a ripple effect, right? So that ripple effect is how I elevate others to a higher frequency because let's face it, you know, people talk about changing the world all the time and then they go out and try to change it without changing themselves first. And so like when someone talked to me about one time about, um, oh, global warming and uh, all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, so what are you, are you recycling at home? <laughs> and yeah. Well, no, it's not mandatory. I'm like, okay. Uh, do you turn off the water uh, between soaping up and, and you know, rinsing off? And like, well, no. Like, well, why don't you do that? Right? Start that. And then let's talk. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you're not going to change the world out there unless you change your, 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 your world. Or maybe you can, but it'll take longer. So you want to change your world and you create that radiant value, the ripple effect that goes out. Because when people see you doing what you do, they're going to respect that. And then they're going to start listening to you. Right. And looking to you for advice and for, for help and these kind of things. And so that's where that radiant value comes from. It's very important for me. It's, it's, a, it's a very important aspect. I don't leave any, 
I don't care interaction, what it is, whether I'm at the gym or at the grocery store, whatever, I, there's always a point where I know I can leave some kind of value. And so that's always my intention. Add value by solving problems. That's always the intention wherever I go. And that guides every interaction you have every day. It sure does. And it becomes intrinsic and normal and automatic. And, you know, it takes, it takes some time to get used to someone like me. Um, you know, my, my new partner, she, she's like, man, you talk to everybody. <laughs> and I was like, look at it could be a cultural yeah. thing too. She's, uh, is she American or? No, no, she's Ukrainian. Oh, okay. So it could be a cultural thing. The difference is this. Americans say my yeah. car, my boat, my house, this kind of stuff, right? I don't talk yeah. about anything that I know what I have, nothing. For me, it's yeah. about them. It's about them. It's about yeah. the other person. And I mm -hmm. asked her, I said, well, what do you see that's common with all the people that I talk to? What's common? She goes, I don't know. What do you mean? They're men and women. And I'm like, no, what's common about them? And then she's like, they're always in a good mood after they talk to you. I'm like, exactly. Leave them in a better place than when you met them. Everybody you meet, the postman, the postwoman, the lady at the, at the cash register, whoever it is, always, if you want to elevate people to a higher frequency, and that's where this world needs to go, let's face it, uh, then leave people in a better place than when you met them, whether it's a minute or an hour or a year or whatever. And I, I'm doing that same thing with my, my now ex-wife. You know, same thing. I'm trying to leave her in a better place than when I met her. And I did, you know, and now I'm like trying to do the emotional support to get her there as well. So, you know, it's like, it's, it's something that's so important for me because I know that's the world that I'm creating, co-creating with the world around me. And so if I slack on that and become selfish and only worry about me, um, well, then maybe, you know, my world's not going to be as great as I want it to be. And I, I'm serious about this. Like I'm dead. Yeah. It's, it sounds like a very heart centered approach towards living. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Very, very. It's very hard. Center. I mean, I. How do you do that? Do you do you have a sort of ritual? Like, how do you stay in that that loving space? Be conscious, and have people around you that support that, and are not scared to talk about it. You know, I mean, there's, there's. It, it doesn't matter what it is. If I have a feeling, I'm gonna, I'm gonna announce it. Hey, I'm feeling this right now. I'm not sure why, um, but this is what it feels like, and this is what triggered it, or maybe this is when it started. And what do you think it is? So I'm always talking about it. And the people around me love it because they get to talk about what they feel. And we understand each other like we've never understood, understood anyone else. And so it's like, for me, it's a, it's a constant, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know if you call it a ritual, but I lay down, I'll take naps. I take a nap every day, but when I lay down, I, I go in and, I, and I, I feel my heart. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Because look, the mind doesn't feel, the heart doesn't think. So you have to have them connected in order to have that full Sure. Embodiment. And so I, I'm always trying to connect the mind and the heart. Right. And that, that's for, for me, that's like, that's when the intuition really kicks in when they, when, when you're aligned. And so I know when I'm aligned because the, the, the intuition's like, Oh, I got to do this. I know that pop, 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 answer here, answer there. Um, I mean, I'm literally driving down the street. I'll take a left for no reason because my intuition's like, take a left. I won't even question it. It's like, just turn left, you know, and it's, that's just how I practice and stay in, stay in stride. One of the ways. And I, I'm sure that you, your intuition strengthened while you were in the military, when you were out there, because sometimes you, that's all you have to rely on. I mean, like in certain situations, strategy can only take you so far. Amen to that, uh, especially in life and death situations, you know. You're that's right. Flight, you know, yeah, you have intuition. to really, your human instinct. I mean, it's, you have to rely on that. Primal, primal instinct, for real. Right. And, uh, 
funny you brought that up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because when you get out of the military, <clears throat> there's such a, there's so the, the, the differences in life, you know, if you're in the, in the military, you go to war. It's like the difference between peacetime and wartime is everything. But in life, the difference between going to work and going home, not that much. So you're not going to like the, the intuition is like on overdrive when you get out and then nothing's, nothing's giving you your, in, your intuition any feed because it's such a low level of change, mm-hmm. right? Or a le- low level of things happening compared sure. to being there, you know? So it takes some getting used to. I'll tell you when I got out, I was like, I feel like I'm dead. I can't even think anymore. You know, like I can't even like I don't. There's nothing. It's what's going on. I couldn't react. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to pay a bill. I didn't know how to turn on electricity. I knew, I knew nothing. People think when you're in, in the military, you're this. You know, you you are. You're a warrior and all this kind of stuff. When you get out, you're basically 19 again. You don't know how to do anything, right? <laughs> it's just you know because you just you're taken care of in the military. You get three squares a day. You get paid every every, every 15 days because it's so that's structured. All that's all you know, right? They tell you where to go, what to do. Yeah. They, they give you. Extra money. They give you extra money for if you live off base. They get you know all this stuff. You have you get to go on vacations. They tell you where to go. I mean, it's like you know, <laughs> it's like everything's taken care of. When you get out, that all falls away. You know. Yeah. So, yeah anyway, back, back to the military. But yeah, that's that's sort of that's sort of the whole the whole I guess story behind all that. Yeah. How long were you in the military? Just over seven years. Okay. Yeah. It's a good chunk of time. That was enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. I was in war. I was 23 years old when I went to war. I don't, you know, I was one of the older ones, I guess. But um, yeah, that's that's not something I wish upon anybody. Yeah. And I'm I'm not all about I'm not all about that bravado bullshit. You know, like who, you know, I'm not about that at all. I was I was ashamed of what we did over there. Um, and also at the same time, I know that I did my best to help as many people as I could over there. Even to the point where I got in trouble because I kept giving them food and you're not supposed to give them food. And I, I would li- li- literally take the chow truck or the 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 dining f- the the truck that brought the food, right? So I would take the driver and be like, "Come on, follow me." And he, I take the Humvee and he drive. And we went went to this bombed out powerhouse, and there was like four families in there, and we would just deliver all the food that wasn't eaten and then just give it to them. I kept getting in trouble for that until they actually took took it away from me my my Humvee, so I couldn't do it anymore. You know, and, and so like I, I was I was out there like trying to make some difference. Yeah, and you're still doing it. You're raising awareness about veteran about veterans and you know the kind of issues that they face after they get out of they get out yeah, of the army. Of, yeah. There's a lot of people doing that. There's like honestly, yeah. I, I I always say in all, all my podcast interviews, all my public interviews that um I want to meet that girl again. She was eight years old about when I met her back in nineteen ninety-three, right? Um, and she was from Basra. Right. So, you know, um, if she's out there, <laughs> anyone listening from Basra <laughs> or someone who knows somebody, it's funny because I was at an event one time, baby bathwater yeah. event actually. And, uh, there was an Iraqi woman there from Basra who was there in 1993. She was the right age and everything even had a scar. And I'm like, Oh my God, is this her? Like really? It wasn't, but I almost didn't want to ask any more questions because I wanted it to be her. Right. Like I'm, I really want to see this girl. I really want to see this girl. I really, really, really want to see. Maybe it's selfish of me, but I, I want to see what she's become. You know, and I'm sure she hasn't forgotten you too. That act of kindness probably meant the world to her. I hope so. I truly hope so. All right, Stephen. I mean, you have so many wonderful stories, but I think we better end the interview here. Uh, we'll talk all day, but. 
it, you know, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and learning from you. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your knowledge with us today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. For you know, everyone listening, if they want to learn more about Stephen's book, Stephen Cohen's book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha. And if you want to learn about his other products and services, uh, you can go to his website, humblealpha.com. You'll find the link uh, in the description box. Anything else you'd like to add to that, Stephen? No, just look, you know, look, I'm very accessible. <clears throat> like I'm do- fully doxxed. Like you can find me everywhere. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, just connect with me. You got any questions, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll always answer. Oh, what is your Instagram handle? For those who are interested in Stephen, following you. Stephen, you, Stephen Eugene Kuhn. Perfect. All right. Stephen, you have a wonderful rest of your day out there in beautiful Turkey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Right. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.